my goodness, we've got guests. You know what that means. It's another Masterclass episode on Studio Class. Buckle up, divas. I have a great Masterclass episode for you today. This is the one featuring the wonderful Chelsea Hollow. I am so excited for you to listen to all the things that she has to share with us. So let me tell you a little bit about Chelsea, and then we will get to it. <laughs> okay. Chelsea Hollow has rewritten the book on the potential of musical activism, curating and commissioning solo recitals based on activist texts, as well as exploring ways to make traditional opera exciting to new audiences. In recognition of this work, she presented on art and activism for the United Nations Office of Human Rights in 2021. In April of 2023, Chelsea released her debut album, Cycles of Resistance, with Arrowcade Music featuring 22 of her commissions chronicling examples of human resilience in Mandarin, Dutch, Turkish, Arabic, Sanskrit, and Czech, in addition to English. She's known for her soaring high range and absolute stage panache. She's been premiering new operatic works and also singing traditional roles such as Queen of the Night, Serpinetta, and Olympia. I cannot wait for you to hear Chelsea's thoughts on all things singing, and let's just jump right into it. So divas, here we go with the wonderful Chelsea Hollow. Yay! Chelsea, welcome. Thank you so much for being a masterclass guest on Studio Class. This is such a pleasure. We have had multiple chances to talk before this, but it's so great to be able to share some of our conversations with a with a wider group of listeners. So thank you, thank you for coming on. And I would love if you could kick us off by telling us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm super honored to be here. I love this podcast. I actually listened to it myself and <laughs> desperately wish I had it when I was in college. <laughs> Yay! Still studying. <laughs> Um, I am Chelsea Hollow. I'm a new music coloratura based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, yeah, I'm a mom. I like to commission new works. I like to, uh, I love premiering new works. And in the past several years, I've moved towards um, texts that feel really cathartic to me and um, feel like they are cathartic to my audiences. Mm -hmm. That's really awesome. We are definitely going to talk more about that. But <laughs> you know, because you've listened that I really like to start things by asking you, what's an intention that you're holding for yourself right now? Yeah, I love that question. I, I mean, my whole goal in life and parenting is to just be as intentional as, as possible. Um, so I think for me lately, it's been clarity in thought. And it's in all these different areas that I kept thinking I was having these intentions in different areas, but I realized it's really like three main areas that I needed to combine and perhaps there's more. So I'll share those, but it's, can I be intentional in knowing in any given moment, what role I'm filling, you know, what my actual venue is and what um, map I'm using to navigate it. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> well, can you can you dig into that a little bit more for me and maybe even how you kind of came up with that or that particular naming system or those labels for for each one of those facets? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, the the whole idea of like a role started as a desperate need to <laughs> know how to be an opera singer because I came from a completely different world. And um, yeah, I just didn't feel like I understood anything about it. I, I felt like I was pretending to be an opera singer for a really long time and hoping that no one discovered I sang classic rock. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and so I think I remember very early in my singing being very nervous at rehearsals and just feeling like I didn't know what I was doing, even though I was prepared and um, I had a friend who was just brilliant on stage and so I remember going to a rehearsal one day and thinking okay today I'm not going as Chelsea hollow I am going as Sarah being Chelsea hollow in this rehearsal. <laughs> Yes. And all of a sudden that like separation gave me this permission to be really who I who I wanted to be in that moment. It was all me. I wasn't actually putting on anything different. Yeah. It was just the parts of me that I needed to kind of curate in that moment to feel confident enough to be there. Yeah. And so this I mean that it felt like role play at first and then it eventually it just really became who I needed to be in that moment. I then remember a very similar um, trajectory with my teaching when I started teaching I was just like so frazzled and didn't know if anyone would want to listen to what I had to say. Um, and so I remember being like okay well who is this character I want to be in the performance of Chelsea Hollow the voice teacher. Um, <laughs> how can I curate that um and yeah i think there there were just it was a way looking back now i see it was a way of kind of like i said curating the values around who i wanted to be in that moment yeah. um and i don't know it, it did it it wasn't necessary for long but it became a core part of like who i want to be as a teacher and it was this intentionality of role um, and so that like later moved into all sorts of different things. And it's, it doesn't feel like I'm becoming a character um, in myself now. It's more this like intentionality of who am I? Who, who is this like audience expecting me to be, you know? And I don't mean to say that life is a performance that I'm you know performing constantly. It's more about, um, I'm a very, I'm a diverse person when I exist in the world. Like sometimes I'm a beach bum who wants to go skimboarding. And sometimes I am a hiker and I'm a gardener. And um, I need to kind of hone the, <laughs> the personality traits. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, actually, this was true in high school too. I remember like not quite fitting into one group because I just loved everyone and I kind yeah. of went around, but people couldn't figure out who I was, you know, because sometimes I was hanging out with the punks and going to concerts. And sometimes I was ditching school to go skimboard. And yeah. sometimes I was singing choir, you know, singing in the choir. And so it just, I felt like I was always being true to myself, but sometimes you have to organize that for other people to understand, I guess. Yeah. See, you made me think of this, a conversation that I was having with a friend, you know, kind of recently about how it's helpful when we're clear, we can be all sorts of things, but when we're clear with other people about maybe that role or understand that certain people see us in a role sometimes, and that doesn't have to mean that it's 
the only thing that you're about, but right, that helps you understand that like, oh, they see me this way and I can help them understand to see me in multiple ways, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that throughout our professional lives, we can feel a little mm, stuck, maybe a little like a little confined when we're presented with other people who see us in only one of our roles Mm. versus lots of the, the fullness of ourselves right <laughs> and I'm wondering if that's also part of that experience for you is realizing that sometimes people only do interact with you in one of your many facets and have you felt that kind of that kind of um confined feeling by that and that does this help you kind of contextualize all of the things that you are, all of the diverse parts of yourself for other people so that you can, that you can kind of communicate all of those things with them a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I think it's, um, I think a part of it is like this. So I, I struggled for a long time with imposter syndrome um, and like showing up at rehearsals and just being convinced that there was some kind of mistake that I yeah. was supposed to be there, um, even though I was singing like the title role or right, you know right. the lead role, um, just convinced that someone made a big mistake. And so, um, yeah, I remember showing up at I think it was in Pittsburgh. I was understudying Zerbinetta, right? And so she's like the queen uh, that I mean, I just wanted to be her so badly and like absorb everything she had to offer. Um, and at one point she like, I, I, she took me out to coffee, I think, and we were just chatting and she wanted to, you know, just be a good mentor for me. And um, one of the pieces of advice she gave me really stuck with me. And it was that everyone is nervous at every level that they mm-hmm. get to. Mm-hmm. And there's even, you know, here she is singing the role. Like I'm looking at her, like she's just got to know everything and have it all figured out. And she was super nervous, right, <laughs> like, right. you know, um, she was doing the role for the first time. She's not used to performing outside of her hometown. Like there were just all sorts of things that even though she was this like level above me, um, she was kind enough to share that vulnerability with me. And I think it really, I started to understand like, oh yeah, there's, there's different ways of showing up as ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there are, for me, different ways that feel more empowering or more authentic and let me really be kind of vulnerable and not turn into some randomized characterization of myself, you know, that's just like kind of responding and reacting to different situations. So it just feels more intentional, if that makes sense. I love that. When you mentioned imposter syndrome, I think that so many of us go through that and also feel like we're weirdly alone in it, even though everybody's going through it, right? I'm wondering, as you've as you've worked through that for yourself, do you have any certain like nuts and bolts types of things that you've you've incorporated that help you just address that in your own life? Yeah. Um, and actually it goes back to this role thing. So I use this with my students too. Um that I have, I, I'll explain it as a as a teacher to my students because I think it's really, it, it's a little clearer that way. Um, so I had this student who was auditioning for um, college, and she was she'd worked so hard, and um, she 
she's a wonderful performer, yeah. but she's getting ready for this pre-screening and she's just sabotaging herself, you know? Yeah. And so I had her close her eyes and imagine that, you know, she actually got through the pre-screening and she's there auditioning and, and I had her sing it again. She was singing Di Forella, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she gets, she goes and she sings it and it's like much better. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is working. Let's, let's continue this. I yeah. said, okay, let's, let's do it again. You're going to close your eyes. And now you're going to imagine you got in, you're yeah. at the school, you are performing for the Aria marathon or whatever, where the yeah. singers get to know each other. Um, and so now, now sing it again. And she sang it again. And it was like considerably better. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> we're going to go. This is five years from now you're graduating. It's your senior recital. And you decide for your encore, you are going to perform the song you auditioned with Di Forella. <laughs> Yeah. And she, she did it. And I mean, it was just a completely different performance, even as wonderful and experienced as she was in that moment, leading up to then, yeah. it was far beyond that. And it opened both of our minds up to this idea that we are, we fall victim to whatever narratives we, um, kind of put on ourselves, right? And I think this brings me, I didn't really explain venue and map, I can come back to those, but that kind of brings me to what I mean by venue. Like, who am I in this place? And mm -hmm. is there a different way of seeing it that will help me be the person I want to be here? Mm -hmm. um, and so in that, like, when she's showing up as a high school kid, who's in a voice lesson preparing for some pre-screening that she doesn't know how it's going to do, like how it's going to work, and she's applying to 85 different schools, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the case is. Um, when she changed that venue for herself, and again, the role, right? Who is she and who is she in this moment? Where is she? Um, it allowed her to access a completely different level of artistry. Yeah. And what she was giving herself permission to do. And I literally, we didn't, I didn't give her any instruction other than placement, right? Yeah. Like, where are yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it, it totally changed things. So I use this exercise all the time with my students. I find it to be extremely helpful for myself um, in bio writing, actually. <laughs> when I have yeah, to write my bio, I'm like, what would I say? How would I approach this if I was like at the next kind of level of where I want to be existing in the world? And how, what do I want this to say? Um, so yeah, I think that really helps the imposter syndrome a lot is just to give yourself permission to imagine a slightly different narrative yeah absolutely oh i like that i like all of those those tricks and the bio one i'm also going to put that i'm going to write that one down <laughs> like, so chelsea would you also explain the maps part of this yeah so this is i love there's a book that i've been reading that is it's it's an easy read but it's got so much information that i tend to like pause every couple of chapters and like really dig into those Thing. So it's called uh, The Great Mental Models or something like that. It's by Shane Parrish. Sure, um, sure, sure. It's, it's amazing. And um, he basically breaks down these ideas of mental models that we kind of find and discover and learn in different facets of life or different specialties. Mm -hmm. um, and so this idea of the map, it comes from you know, map making. Yeah. Um, and it's very obvious, but when you like really settle into it, it makes a lot more sense. So the idea is that the map is not the territory, right? Mm -hmm. It's just this simple idea, which we know when we're like 
driving and we have Google Maps and Google Maps is like, well, this happened to me yesterday. Turn left right here. And the sign says no left except streetcars. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't turn left here. <laughs> you know? so in those moments, you realize, right, there's there's the information of the map, which is this like reduction of information. Mm -hmm. And then there's reality. And when we use a map, that information is obvious to us. But what he argues in this book is that this we are using maps constantly. Mm -hmm. We are using information that people have reduced down for us with their experience, you know, and we are absorbing that truth. And if we don't understand that it's a map, that it's a reduction, we don't always give ourselves permission to see the actual territory. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I mean, I remember reading this and immediately just like setting the book down and journaling for hours yeah. <laughs> on um, classical music and this so-called map that we are given, right? Mm -hmm. This this idea of what trajectory we're supposed to follow and who we're supposed to be and what kind of, you know, what leads to where. And I'm just thinking, okay, who who gave me this map? And did they even know they were creating a map? Mm -hmm. they, are, we have map makers upon map makers that don't even understand that they're map makers. Right. And that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be when it comes to um, thinking clearly. Yeah. And so for me, um, this has been kind of in my mind of like, whenever I have some sort of information that comes in or some idea of how things are supposed to be, just kind of sitting back and being like, okay, what is map and what is territory? What's my experience and how can I use this? And then just taking it one step further, um, kind of what maps do I have access to that can help me in new territories? Yeah. So um, this hit me when I was, I was recording my album that I'm <sighs> releasing this month. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that uh, I was in the studio, I was super nervous to start because, you know, this is a big deal and, lots of money had been invested into this project and I was bringing these new works to life. Um, and I had just read this and it, it occurred to me, I was like, oh, explorers, they don't, they don't have a map. They're making the map. They're, they're figuring it out and learning as they go, but they're using the experience that they have to be, you know, applicable to the situation. And so I just had this like overwhelming excitement of being an explorer that I'm like, oh. okay, I have the map of how to sing technically. I have the map of how to work with engineers and technicians. And while I haven't been in lots of recording studios and done this multiple times, well, I had done it, I think three times I had done smaller recording yeah. gigs, studios, but nothing like this. Right. Um, I was able to really look at the, the collection of maps I had yeah. and feel really empowered as an explorer. And then it opened me up to like, not needing to feel like I knew everything in the situation, mm -hmm. right? Or pretend mm -hmm. that I did. And and so I was able to go, gosh, I know nothing about that. Like, tell me, like, like teach <laughs> me, oh mighty engineer, you know, how we set this up. And it became much more collaborative instead of me trying to pretend I knew what to do in that situation. Yeah, oh, I love that. Also, I think that, I think, on so many occasions about all of the times that I felt the pressure to pretend like I knew what was going on. And each time I've set that down and been like, 
I'd love to know a little bit more about that if you're like interested in telling me, trying to find that way to be like, oh, interesting. T- tell me more about that thing <laughs> like, without without feeling dumb is such a, uh, you know, it's like sometimes you just have to let, like you said, allowing yourself to be vulnerable in that moment yeah. so that you can learn, you can benefit from other people's experience. I'm so glad that 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 you found that explorer sense in yourself to just kind of be like very open and that put you back in touch with a vulnerability that felt very positive, right? Felt really good in that moment. So I love that. Yay. So we're definitely, okay. You know, I want to make sure that we definitely talk about the album. So can you, can you drop the name of the album, do all of that stuff as we continue to go through our conversation? So what's the name of the album and you know, give, give us the spiel for it. Okay. Um, so it's cycles of resistance and it is 24 tracks, uh, 22 of which that I commissioned between 2018 and 2021. Um, it's all texts coming from activist and resistance movements. Um, and so we have, (laughs) there's so many languages, (laughs) (laughs) Mandarin, Dutch, Czech, German, Arabic, Sanskrit, Turkish, and English. Um, And so it's this really kind of international um, collection, chronicle of of movements that um, of people standing up for themselves and for saying what they, you know, really truly believe needs to be said in difficult moments. so yeah, it's I'm extremely proud of it. The music is all contemporary, obviously. Um, half of the tracks use electronics, so we have like vocoder and looper pedal and fixed media and modular synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half of the tracks are kind of your standard recital setting of grand piano and coloratura soprano. Um, but they're beautiful, and some are tragic, but most are really. Uh, beautiful moments of human resilience. Um, And then the two tracks at the very end were actually submitted by a composer who, um, he he was in the call for proposals, but was on my my wait list. He's fabulous. Um, It was just, there were so many fabulous proposals. Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, limit it. Um, But he sent me two songs uh, that are peace prayers from peace prayer settings. So one is um, a Vedic chant, uh, Shanti, uh, like peace, peace coming to the earth, peace to me, peace to you, peace to the gods and the heavens, peace to the plants, Mm. peace to peace itself. It's just such a beautiful mantra of peace. And the second one is the Arabic greeting of, um, you know, peace, peace be with you, peace of Allah be with you. And, um, so I thought to end with those of just like ultimate resilience, right? These ideas of, look, things are hard, but I, I believe that peace can come from me and peace can come to those around me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. I cannot wait to like hear the whole thing. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do want to pick up on one of the things that you said in there. Also, I know that languages is a big passion, like there are a big passion of yours. And so I love that you're able to incorporate the the side of activism and catharsis that you're finding and then 
the another aspect being commissioning and collaboration, working with all of these composers, but then also getting to do all of these different languages and not just like what we might have been told are like the standard singing languages when we were going through our like Western art music education, right? You know, so so I'm I'm curious, and this might lead us into the next thing if that if I know that you really like to help your students also kind of like embrace that, help your colleagues embrace singing in different languages. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your path when it came to embracing all sorts of singing languages. Hey there, divas. Real quick thing before we get back to the rest of this episode. Do you love studio class? You can support it now by joining the Sybaritic Camerata on Patreon. It's just at patreon.com slash mezzoenen, M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. For $10 a month, you can join the listening circle where you get access to bonus episodes, you can make listener requests, and for $20 a month, you can become a Masterclass Scholar. Do you ever wish you could ask our Masterclass episode guests a question? Here's your chance. As a Masterclass Scholar, you're invited to the recording of the Masterclass episodes, and you get to ask your questions during an exclusive Q&A after the taping. So come on over, check it out, patreon.com slash And now we're back to the episode. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was really personal. I'm I'm Arabic and I wanted to sing in Arabic. <laughs> and so for my master's recital, I found this gorgeous, this gorgeous set of four songs by C.P. Fleischer. It's called Girl, Butterfly Girl. And um, it's just so gorgeous. And I, I am I'm good with languages, but I don't speak Arabic. And so I needed to find a coach and um, it was impossible. It was so hard. And this was, you know, we definitely had the internet, but YouTube wasn't as helpful as it is now. Right. Um, and so I remember like, the one coach I knew who maybe knew an Arabic coach was um, only reachable by phone. And so like, <laughs> I had to leave voice messages. I mean, it was just, it was so chaotic and difficult, but I finally did meet with someone who was able to um, coach me through the Arabic. And um, so I felt pretty good about that. Um, but then this big conversation in 2020 around adding diversity, which I think is so important, mm -hmm. but I think the conversation is is so limited. We're like, oh, we need to bring in more, you know, women composers. Oh, we need to bring in more black composers, which is so true and so necessary. But like, we also need to bring in diverse voices from all over the world, right? Yeah. There's not just like white and black people, there's all different kinds of people. <laughs> right. And like, it just felt like the moment we were, we were not, we were just scratching the surface mm -hmm. at what kind of diversity we could really bring to classical music. And mm -hmm. we are talking constantly about how our audiences are shrinking and how can we get the public to understand classical music we're not speaking to them anymore, right? If you think about the classical music of the past, it was speaking to a certain class and, and group of people. Um, and that is all of the material we have. We are missing so much art mm -hmm. by not catering to our audiences. And so for me, I saw it as exciting. I was like, 
I want to commission music in every language available. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So when I sent out this call for proposals, I said, really, like, I want it to be in the language that it was written. And I want, I will, I will do the work to learn how to sing in whatever language you set you submit. So um, I got those languages, I got even more languages than that, but I didn't have room for it. Oh. Um, and I started I have a huge database of all the songs I still want to commission yes <laughs> but um yeah it was it was interesting how empowered I felt as a commissioner to commission these works and then how completely um unsupported I felt as a singer to learn these new languages because yeah. here it was like 10 years after my master's degree no it's not 10 years yet yeah. <laughs> anyway you're like it feels like 10 years <laughs> yeah everything is available online you can find yeah. out how to do anything on youtube i feel like and i could not find a coach in dutch i could not find a coach in um i had a czech coach um, Mandarin, I couldn't find anyone to really dig into Mandarin. And I know there's lots of Mandarin, you know, professionals who would be great at this, but I couldn't find them by their language, right, you know, right. I couldn't find. Um, and so even now with Zoom and everything, I can have coachings from anywhere in the world, but I had nowhere to locate these right. fabulous musicians that I know exist. Right. Um, so I actually, I, I built a database. Um, Amazing. But, yeah. <laughs> and it's free. Everyone is welcome to use it. It's, um, there's not a ton of people on there now. I think there's, I think I'm up to like 40 coaches. Um, but anyone who hears oh, this really impressive. Excited, yeah. should just like go to it and um, check it out because we have I, oh, I should see how many languages are represented. I actually don't know, um, but there's lots. There's like five different African languages represented. We have um, every dialect of Chinese. There, you know, it's 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 amazing. And so you can search for coaches based on their name, based on languages that they speak and that they can coach in, um, based on location, yeah. based on all these different things. And you just search, and they all come up, and they're always organized by who is the most like comfortable with the language. So if we have a fluent native speaker, um, then they will come up, they will show up at the top of the list. Yep. And then lower down, you know, you'll get the more conversational or I have sort of experience in this, but you can really see who you're reaching out to yeah. um, to find coaches. So I'm really proud of it. Yes, <laughs> as you should be. That's an incredible resource. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when we have these conversations about diversity, it needs to be so much more than just um, finding a composer who is diverse and finding a singer who is diverse. I think we need to also find ways of supporting the musicians who want to perform works in different languages. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that you have that. And also for anyone who's listening, I'm just going to echo Chelsea and say, like, tell your coach <laughs> friends, tell your like uh, someone that you've coached with, tell them about this in case they're not on there yet. Like, you know, just... oh, and I should say how you can find it. So it's, yeah. it's on my website. So if you yeah. just go to ChelseaHollow.com and then go to the coach database, it's there and it's, yeah, it's available. Perfect. And there's also a link to uh, the Google form where people can submit yes. <laughs> if they want to be part of it. So uh, yeah. Uh, you make it so easy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, Chelsea, you know that I love to ask people about, so this might be 
akin to a couple of the things that we've already talked about. And if you want to pick a different direction, cool. If you want to elaborate on something that we've been talking about, also cool. And I'm wondering, can you tell me a little bit about a skill that you love to teach or so it can be hard skills or soft skills, really whichever direction you like to go. But I think that we're all teachers in, in some respect, even if that's not like the label on what your, you know, your professional thing. I think that's how we move through the world is that we're sharing information with each other and we like, and I think it's important that we pass things on. And so obviously I like to do this in a podcast format as well. And so I'm wondering if there's something that you just really love to share with other people in kind of a teaching way. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the role idea of just really being clear of who you are in the moment and what narrative you're kind of subjecting yourself to in any given moment is probably one of the biggest things that I like to pass along to students. Um, I think another one, that is just strictly technical is lip trills. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I think I think they're really misunderstood. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> um, so I I did lip trills forever and um, never felt like they were helpful. I couldn't figure out why they were necessary, and I understood the idea of like finding the resonance and getting the air flowing. But for me, they never seemed to really line me up properly. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was in a really pressed place afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I started studying with my current teacher, Julia, um, she kind of explained to me like, oh, you need to keep your tongue wide. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm in a lip trill. What does my tongue have to do with it? And I literally had no idea that there's like, a vowel space behind the lip trill. Um, And so (laughs) I love teaching this because I I feel like lip trills are used at the beginning of lessons. I mean, probably 90% of lessons, right? There's definitely a lot of people who are like, no, we don't do lip trills. Um, (laughs) But I think that if they're misunderstood, you can start with such a horrible laryngeal position because of the tightness in the tongue. Um, And so I like to really explain to my students um, the physiology of what's going on and help them understand the different vowel space of how we tend to try to go to like an I or an E behind the lip trill because it funnels the air, right? Which creates the smooth stream of air we need for the lip trill, but it doesn't actually practice the consistent airflow we need from the source, right? right. <laughs> because we're just funneling it. So just like pouring water into a pitcher or, or from a pitcher into a funnel, right? You can be inconsistent in adding the water and it will still come out pretty consistently. But if we're practicing lip trills, you know, for breath flow and consistency and utilizing our tongue as a funnel, we're not actually practicing breath flow. We're practicing pressure connection between our tongue and our lips. (laughs) Ah, so so So, many feelings about this. Yes, yes. That's a big one for me. And then also like breaking down the ideas of um, kind of like physics and how I feel like for me, so most of my students are pretty beginner. I don't work with very advanced singers, but I drop into pretty advanced ideas right away. And um, so I think with my students talking about the physiology and the physics behind what's going on 
adds like these data points that lets them do pretty amazing advanced things, right. even when they're just starting out with, you know, learning how to sing classically. I love that. Chelsea, when you were earlier in your journey taking voice lessons kind of at, at the beginning of things, mm -hmm. do you feel like you were working with someone who was also kind of physiology based or or did they have a different approach to it? What What was your experience like with that? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, my teachers before Julia were all fabulous. They they were wonderful, and I I gathered so much wonderful information from them. Um, so it's not that I regret anything in my teaching no. or my studying before Julia, but um, I so I took voice lessons. I didn't start singing classically until I was twenty. Yeah. Um, and so I was a pretty late comer, did not even know what head voice was when I started college and sounded like Britney Spears when I <laughs> auditioned. Um, so I had a lot of like, I needed to learn a lot. And I think my teachers were kind of perfect for getting me up to where I needed to be. But once I actually got into physiology classes, I mean, so I was going to be a physics major before I went into music. And so I was, I just dove right into the science and I was so excited and I would be up late reading like, you know, scientific papers and studies and, yeah. um, but I never had anyone like I could talk with about this technically. So I, I kind of existed in these two worlds. I had this physiological and physics understanding, but I didn't quite know what was what when it connected to my body. Um, and when I got with Julia, it was like this light bulb went off. Finally, I was studying with someone who had physiological and like really like acoustic awareness greater than I, than I had, you know, studied. Um, so that was just kind of fabulous. Yeah. I find that so many of us have a similar process or a similar experience when we, we have these great teachers and then and then also as part of our path, we find the teacher that has that technique plus physiology plus kind of the acoustics like sense and they just like pass that information on to us. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, this is amazing. How come I didn't know this before? Right. It just feels like it really opens up. So I, I, I do like having those kinds of conversations here for people who are listening to to know that that's a that's a really helpful part of of what we are doing when we're making sound. And so if that's not something that exists in their current relationship, it doesn't mean that it, that's not a good relationship. It just means maybe also looking for other, other sources of information to kind of fill out your experience because it can be so helpful. If you feel like you don't have a lot of awareness around that, I would imagine that both of us would really highly encourage people to be like learning more about all of the physiology that's happening and how you can feel that awareness, but then also like the control of it that kind of allows you to make the sounds you want to make, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it, you know, it can be overwhelming. And I, I definitely think at on some level, I remember when I first started learning like vocal ped, the semester I took vocal ped was like the worst singing semester of my life. <laughs> I was, diagnosing everything right sure that I understood it better than what I thought I understood before but I was just getting in my way so I think there is 
you know, I think there you should have some kind of trust in the singing and the the mechanism. And um, I don't know, I like to tell my students, like, when we're learning new skills, are we in, you know, data collection mode? Or are we in like, you know, practicing an intentional choice mode, right? Yeah. And I think often when I start to introduce a new idea to them, that is, you know, a little beyond where they're at, I will tell them, hey, we are like starting to enter the land of so-and-so. And so what I want you to pay attention to is like this, 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 and this, right? Yeah. And as they're there, I'm like, we're, we're headed towards like understanding our legato and breath flow, or we're understanding, you know, soft palate or whatever, vowel matching, you know, whatever it is. But I want them to start kind of building the awareness before digging into the actual, you know, um, physiology of it or the physics of it. And so, yeah, I, I, I think there's, it's a balance. We definitely need both. Right. Um, I just had an amazing lesson with one of my students yesterday discussing <laughs> how, and this is so not physiological, but we were like playing with the idea of using color mm. as a shorthand communication with our brain for like what kind of like timbre we were going for, right? And yes. all of our lessons up to this point had been super physiological. And I remember being like, this is a this is a weird thing I'm going to do with you, but I think it might be helpful, you know? And so I had him sing through something and I was like, if that had a color, that tone that you did, like, what would it be? Yep. And then switching into, okay, what color do you want this phrase to be? Mm -hmm. And it, so I think those kinds of obscure ways of communicating with our brain are really helpful too. Yes. I, there, I don't have a physiological you know, recipe for what was making it yellow versus pale blue. Right. But, right. But it certainly like he was able to communicate with his voice in a way that had real results. And so I think like that those kinds of um, techniques and teaching and skill sets, I think are really, really valid and important, especially to young singers and to beginner singers. And then as we start gaining awareness and we are able to, you know, understand the mechanism a little bit more and the sensations that we're feeling mm -hmm. more specifically, then I think the physiology and the physics can be, it just unlocks a whole new world. Right. I'm so glad that you said that. And especially what you said about like vocal pad and kind of <laughs> over-diagnosing ourselves. Like there, there is definitely that sense of like, positives about each way of like gaining information or trying something differently or allowing our brains to explore a certain path. So, so many good things in there. Chelsea, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take a different tack for a moment. And I think that so much of what we do is about, you know, the goods, like being able to perform and sing at our best. And then also, as you mentioned, like, how do I be an opera singer, right? How to be the thing that we're doing. And I think a lot of that is just kind of how we amass our own career skills that we need, right? And everybody's career is so unique and so individual. And that can feel kind of isolating sometimes. But I think that we gather from each other, all of these kind of thoughts and ideas about how we can pursue it. I'm wondering, you know, I'm big on micro actions. Like, so I am wondering for you, mm -hmm. if you've been able to identify a micro action that has helped you feel 
momentum. And this is just like a personal thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, well, this was my big break or anything like that, but more like, this is what felt like I was like moving towards my goals. Yeah. I think there's two, there's one that is strictly physio or physiological for me and like technique, which was, um, uh, like wakeful rest. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This, this idea of, um, so we all know that our brain processes things while we're asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have done, they've, I've just read a study a few months ago that just like totally changed the way I practice. Um, which is that in like 10 second increments of just not super focusing on any other thing, our brain will run through whatever we were just doing like 30 times more than when we're actually doing it. Yes. Right? And so um, I started playing with this because I was learning this ridiculous piece that was so hard that I could not, <laughs> could not understand the rhythm of, and I love rhythm, but it was, it was putting me through my paces. Um, but I, uh, I started just like doing it slowly. And when it really felt good, just taking a second to like have a sip of water and look out the window and then, you know, go back to it. And it was wild. I mean, this song that I had been practicing for weeks and having feeling like I was just hitting a wall with yeah. all of a sudden within a single practice session, I was feeling like, oh, I've got I've got this like yeah. it's OK. Right? Um, and so I think that was huge for me with just being able to kind of learn all sorts of things that were, were tricky and to really get them in my body faster, which um, as a mom, I often only have like 15 minutes to practice and right. I need to, you know, learn a lot of music in that 15 yes. minutes. So, Wait, and it's can often you go like over how yeah. the wakeful rest, like how you incorporate that, like when you're doing it, just what are the steps for you? When yeah. You're so, um, I basically will be practicing like normal. Mm -hmm. And then when I really do something correctly that I'm like that, I want to do that every time. Yeah. Um, I just stop and I look away from the music. I, I live across the street from a park. So I look at the park. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I have a sip of water or tea, whatever's there. Um, maybe I go to the bathroom, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's short. It's not like a big thing, but the, the main thing is I don't think about what I was doing. I just kind of let my brain go on autopilot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting. I've gotten to the point where, and I don't know if I've just invented this sensation in my, in my head, in my imagination, but it feels like for about 10 seconds, my hair is like sticking up, you know, when you get like <laughs> your hair, it's like that, but like on the inside of my head, right? Yes. It, I'm told I could totally be making this up. Who knows? But um, I have this sensation of like, yeah, it's gone through it now. And and then I just go on. So it really isn't much more than 10 seconds. And I use it with my students, too, especially when they've been struggling on something and we finally get it right. I'll just be like, cool, get a sip of water, you mm -hmm. know, and they all know I, I tell them, like, this is what we're doing when we when yeah. you hit this place and I just you do it right. And I don't say anything and I just give you 10 seconds to just do your own thing. That's that's what we're doing. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been really helpful. Yeah. I love that. Such a helpful practice strategy, honestly, it, like making use of how our brains work and we don't have to keep forcing it. And I think, especially as singers, you know, we, we don't usually spend like the hours and hours in the practice room, the same as certain instrumentalists that maybe they're endurance wise, that it's just different. Mm -hmm. And, and so this is one of our strategies where we don't have to 
be putting more burden on the voice necessarily, but we're like still learning things really, really deeply. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. You said you had another one. What's your second one? Oh yeah. What was my second one? (laughs) Yes. I remember now. So I think for me, um, gosh, I wish I remember which podcast it was that I was listening to, but it was these two Sopranos. This was years ago and they were just chatting and they were talking about, um, one of them had just had this realization that like, you don't have to be anyone else. In fact, you can't be anyone else, right? It's this Mm -hmm. obvious thing, right? This idea that you can't be as good as anyone else is at being themselves and they can't be as good as you are at being yourself. So your best shot is just to be yourself as Mm -hmm. like hard as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think for me, there was this big realization of, I don't want to go sing in a young artist program at um, at some big opera house. They don't really have a use for me. I'm this ridiculously high coloratura that they maybe have roles for every like five years, maybe, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm not useful to like a young artist program unless they're doing that show, right? Right. And they're not gonna bring me on as their like fellow at the opera house. So it, right. it's a different trajectory. And I think like, focusing on that. Who am I in this moment? Who do I want to be? Um, it's, it is a micro action in intentionality. I feel like it's not something I do to put out other things into the world, but it feels like it's just this identity of what is it that I do? (laughs) Who do I, who do I want to be? You know? And I guess it goes back to my, the beginning thing, that idea of role and venue, but, um, just who, who is it that I am? in this space and how do I stay true to that? I think that's so great. I love it. Chelsea, is there, is there anything else uh, project wise that's kind of happening in your life that you're excited about that you want to share with us? Um, right now it's all about the, the album. Um, I am hoping to schedule some more recitals with it. So I'm looking into that. Um, I have, a lot of exciting things that are just in the idea phase right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have any of those to share, but I think, um, yeah, as far as upcoming things, it's mostly, it's, it's been a lot about the album and also the world is like opening up again. And I have just like regular performances coming up, which is yeah. super exciting. I should, I want to plug um, Dolores, which is an opera I'm doing um, with West Edge Opera in the Bay Area, they've commissioned this piece on Dolores Huerta, yeah. um, who is she? You know, we've all learned. I feel like about Cesar Chavez, but um, Dolores Huerta was his his partner in creating the um, the Farmers Union, and um, she has been pretty much written out of the textbooks, and we don't hear about her. And um, her cousin. Nicholas uh, Benavides is a fabulous composer who I went to grad school with actually. And um, West Edge Opera commissioned him to do an opera about Dolores Huerta and her life and her activism. And it is awesome. It is one of the most amazing projects I've been a part of. Um, One of the singers, like we were walking away and she goes, this just has to be an opera. It has to be like, I feel like there are so many things out there. We're like, oh, this would make a fun opera. This would be cool. Or what if we sang it, you know? <laughs> but 
I think opera is such an amazing genre and um yeah this opera really it it utilizes every part of opera we're singing you know sometimes the chorus is singing this is a grape strike and boycott this is a grape strike and boycott you know <laughs> and then we're going back and forth was like it's it's this chant and this it's so powerful right and then um so anyway i'm playing uh helen chavez and also ethel um uh kennedy and um Bobby Kennedy's wife. And so because it's still in workshop mode, but we are, um, it's fabulous. I highly recommend it. So um, everyone who is interested in kind of new, new opera should check that out. Great. That's so wonderful. Well, I am definitely keeping ears out for that. Hopefully I can hear it at some point. That'll be very cool. So, you know, Chelsea, one of my, one of my deep loves in life is just being curious about stuff. I just really enjoy asking people questions, <laughs> finding out, learning things. And I know that that's true about you as well. And so we are both lifelong learners together. <laughs> I'm wondering if you would tell us a little bit about something that you're curious about these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound really ridiculous, but my big question that I've been pondering is what the heck is classical music? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is it that I do? Um, I feel like I think because I'm releasing this album and I've been, you know, talking with friends who aren't necessarily musicians yeah. and explaining it. And one of them was just like, wait, it's new music, but it's classical music. Wasn't it like classical, like Mozart, right? It's, it's like dead, right? And I was like, oh yeah, but it's contemporary classical. And, and he like did not get it. He did not yeah. understand. <laughs> talking about yeah and then a couple days ago I was talking with a composer friend you know and um we hadn't we hadn't seen each other in a while like since I was doing more more classical um type repertoire and so I was like yeah I just wanted to reach out because I know that you know you compose really cool things and if you ever want me to sing for you you know whatever and he was like well you do classical singing right and I was like yeah, but you're a classical composer. And he's like, oh, I don't consider myself classical. And I was like, what? you just released a piano album. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and it was just wild to me, you know, and then at some point he was like, well, let me ask you, do you consider Barbara Hannigan a classical singer? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, <laughs> and, you know, Pamela Z and like all these amazing, amazing you know technicians and so it i don't know maybe there's someone who has thought about this more deeply but lately i just feel like i'm butting up against this wall of like how do i define myself in the world what is classical music why is that our genre title you know my album is all new music um but of course it's going to be released under a classical genre mm -hmm. what does that mean um and is there better verbiage for that is there i think there's a big discussion that needs to be had and some bigger organizing thoughts around like how do we put this out there in the world how do we explain to people what we do you know I think mm -hmm. most people when they ask what kind of singer I am I just say an opera singer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do sing opera but I also like most of what I do and the album I'm releasing is art song but right. no one knows what that is right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a recitalist <laughs> you'd be like oh, okay cool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I think that's been a big, yeah, a big ponder for me. It's just like, what is, what is classical music? Where is, does it need a boundary? Is there 
a use to having some better way of organizing my thoughts around this? Is there a use to not having thoughts around this? Like, is it okay if I sing like Britney Spears in one song and sing like, you know, I don't know, Cecilia Bartoli in another? <laughs> I love that you keep picking these mezzos. Like, <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to be a mezzo. <laughs> I will, I will confess to you, (laughs) you know, when I was in high school and I was in choir, I was the lowest tenor. What? (laughs) I'm not kidding. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, I think. Range for days on this one. That's all I'm saying. Just range. I I do have a low range. Yeah, it's, it's not as low now that I sing up above, but I didn't know what head voice was. And so I, you know, I was a tenor. And then I remember starting in college, I I was in the voice program and they gave us like tickets to the opera, which I had never been to an opera. And so I was so excited. I went and I saw Carmen and I yeah. I came back to school. We had, you know, it was like the dress rehearsal. So we came back to rehearsal and I walked in and I was like, <laughs> and I, I just like, everyone was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got it. I'm going to be an opera singer. I'm going to be Carmen. This is my life. And everyone was like, life. No, you will never sing Carmen, girl. <laughs> you are this tiny high bird. <laughs> <girl. laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, when they make when they do Carmen like up a couple octaves or something, that's <laughs> I could actually just do the whole roll up an octave. Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Why not? Why not? Why not? No one wants to see that Carmen. That is like <laughs> I love it. (laughs) I think also, Chelsea, I love that that's that your thoughts about classical music, though, and also specifically as vocalists, how we fit into that conversation, I think are so necessary and useful. And actually, one of the things that I really love is that you're not um, you're not also like you don't have derogative derogatory feelings about the fact that there are like classical sounds and like the you know more pop sounds that like they all kind of exist in music right you know and we we and you have a love for all of those things so I wish that that also got to be a little bit more part of that conversation so it wasn't like this if you like classical somehow that's like a a dig or something and vice versa that we don't do the thing where we stand on the side of classical music, quote unquote, and go like, well, everything else is a lower art. Like, come on, folks. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so I just I really wanted to share my love with you of that of that perspective. And so and also my own personal feelings about before we had like Apple classical, where it's like when you were like putting your music out into the world, like from recordings and like Apple was like, we don't have a classical category at all. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you, what am I supposed to put here? Like, right. And so I was like, uh, um, I guess some sort of weird pop hybrid thing. <laughs> like, buckle up, kiddos, because this is going to be some real fun pop stuff that you've done. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so, yes, I think genres and labels and are are helpful for us to discover things and like and kind of move through information hierarchies and th- stuff like that so that we can like process information but also sometimes it's not as useful for us when we want to exist in multiple spaces and i think having that conversation and about what it can mean for 
for all of us is so important. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm wondering if you feel comfortable, if, if people have their, their own thoughts that they want to share with you, if they can find you on the internet somewhere, like, would you be okay with people reaching out and saying hi on, on the socials? Can you tell them where to find you? Yeah. Um, I wrote it down cause I'm bad at remembering these things. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook, it's at Chelsea hollow soprano. Would you mind Twitter. spelling your name for us that are that are listening? Yes. So it's C-H-E-L-S-E-A and then hollow, just the word hollow, H-O-L-L-O-W. Mm-hmm. And soprano, no spaces or anything. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm at Chelsea Hollow. And on YouTube, I'm at Chelsea Hollow. And then I have a website, ChelseaHollow.com. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, they can find the database. Yes, go use the database and send it to everyone. I want it to be a big, huge free thing for classical music. I think it's, if we really are serious about adding diversity, we we have to add supportive things. So this is my gift to that. And I hope, I hope it becomes, I mean, I just want to sing in all the languages. So maybe it's just a greedy thing for myself. (laughs) No. Okay, and so they can find the album. If they go to your website, they can find more about the album and where, like the all of the platforms and stuff that it's on, right? Yeah, it's it's available right now. You can you can pre-order on um, Apple Music mm-hmm. and on Bandcamp, and you can find information on my website at chelseahollow.com/cycleslp. But it's also in the navigation, so just go look at my work and you'll see it. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. So, and I think that was. It, I wanted to like make sure that they can find the database there and they can c- connect with you with socials and then they can also find find the album that way. So I think we've covered it all. <laughs> I also, I should just put out a thing. You know, I've I've learned so much about commissioning in this project. And so if anyone's curious about doing that, I think it is, it's a huge way, you know, talk about, it's not a micro action, it's a huge macro action, but <laughs> doing something like this really puts you in the driver's seat of your career and makes you so much more interesting as a singer. Um, and I did this project not to do that, but what I've gained, I mean, the fact that I have a, an album I'm releasing with a label, I don't think I would have had that ability without having commissioned these new works and having these amazing you know, things. I think I would have had to like apply for all the things. And this was just like, here, this is a cool thing I want to do. And they were like, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a really interesting way. Commissioning is a really interesting way to kind of own your own career. And um, I'm happy to talk about what I've learned and share my contracts and yes. <laughs> those things, yes. the templates that are so useful. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a special episode where I just bring all my friends on that, that have all recently done like huge commissioning projects. And we'll just like, we'll just like, talk and kvetch <laughs> like, <laughs> just be like this is it this is the whole thing <laughs> so, that would be amazing i want to well, listen to the episode no, <laughs> no you're coming on <laughs> chelsea thank you thank you thank you i i just cannot thank you enough and share my gratitude enough for sharing your wisdom and your your grace with us as listeners as colleagues as friends And thank you for all of the things that you do and the work that you're putting out into the world and, and the resources that you're providing for, for all of us. So thank you for all of that. And thank you for being a masterclass guest. Oh, thank you. And right back at you. All that you're doing is amazing, honestly.
It's Aww. so valuable to the field and to all singers and musicians. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this masterclass episode on Studio Class. Hey, before you go, do you have a second? Will you take a screenshot of this episode and share it to Instagram with your takeaways? You can tag me there, at Mezzoenen. That's M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. It makes a huge difference when you share this podcast with your friends. Or even strangers, really. So, with that in mind, I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.